Hello, this is part two of Cougars, MILFs, and Hillary. This is Well, Women Embracing Later Life. This is Angela Seaborn, your host and the creator of Well. Today is a wonderful day to start the rest of your life. And as always in my podcast, keep what resonates with you and leave the rest behind. In the last episode, I left you with a question to think about. Based on the information that was discussed about how film and media portray women in binary categories, right, like the MILF, the cougar, or the non-sexual, the boring, the ugly, based on these stereotypes, do you feel that they are an accurate representation of you or have an effect on how other people see us, how we see ourselves, and possibly how we behave, and possibly how people behave toward us because of it. I'm very interested in your thoughts about this, so if you're so inclined, you can leave me a message. If you are on Anchor, there is an icon right on the Anchor page just to click on, and you can leave me a voice message, or on the bottom of the show notes where you're listening to your podcast, there is a link where you can also click to leave me a voice message, or you can email me. And now, without further ado, let's get into part two of this episode. Okay, moving on. Does the label MILF, Puma, or Cougar offend you? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Because there is the school of thought that says these labels are progressive. I mean, it's better than eye-offending dogfish, right? After all, both puma and cougar symbolize beauty, power, endurance. They are mysterious and strong and independent. So I can easily see how this could reflect women of mid to later years. Because we are beautiful. We are strong. And we are independent. And I think many women would agree with me when I say starting around age 40, our independence really starts to strengthen and becomes a part of us that we value and protect. This has been my experience anyway, as well as my friends and family. I don't have any literature to back this up. I searched and couldn't find any for or against this argument. Nonetheless, if you are aware of any out there, please direct it my way. Thanks. In the same vein, I would argue that it's this independence that makes us mysterious, similar to the puma and the cougar. If you are looking at it through this lens, then yes, puma and cougar are progressive terms for women in mid to later years. Yeah, 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 yeah. According to an article in the International Journal of Aging and Later Life, uh, 2017, uh, they reviewed the book, How Pop Culture Shapes the Stages of a Woman's Life from Toddlers in Tierras to Cougars on the Prowl, a book written by Melissa Ames and Sarah Birkin. Here is a quote from the review of this book in this piece. The authors are discussing the labels Puma, Cougar, and MILF. It reads, These terms refer to women in their late 40s, 50s, and 60s, who, after having raised and taken care of a family, in most cases, are self-assured, independent, and proud of their bodies and sexuality. As the authors state, 
In relation to other stereotypes in a woman's life, the cultural messages embedded in these terms are paradoxical. On the contrary, they are meant to empower older women. However, such empowerment is imbued through an emphasis of over-sexualization rather than a woman's potential in the public space, either in their careers or their influence in politics or societal organizations. According to the authors, these animalistic and sexualized terms in which these older women are recognized are opposed to the Madonna stereotype that is emphasized in popular fictions for girls and women, and instead is placed within the whore stereotype, where a woman has no desire for marriage or children, but is rather out for her own sexual fulfillment. And if that were the case, it's wise that she decides not to settle down and have babies. But that's not the message they're pushing. They're saying these women are married, they have kids, but they're not interested in the kids that they have. They're only interested in sex with multiple partners. Sorry, I got distracted. Back to the quote. On the contrary, by analyzing some of the texts in which these stereotypes were introduced and popularized, such as the film American Pie, which you listened to earlier, and the TV series How I Met Your Mother, or the more recently released Cougar Town. The authors argue that these stereotypes are often used for a comic of humorous outcome, thus jeopardizing the apparent empowerment of older women. As I mentioned earlier, what better way to proliferate sexist ageist stereotypes than to cloak them in humor? Okay, before I can move forward, I have to note, I do have an issue in this quote, and that is in the second sentence. The rest of the quote I do agree with. In the sentence that I'm referring to, the authors claim the stereotypes for women in mid to later years, such as Puma, Cougar, and MILF, are portrayed as independent, self-assured, and proud of their bodies and sexuality. As a standalone, that sounds wonderful. Who would complain about that kind of description? Certainly not me. But the buck stops there. Because more often, what is reflected back at us on the big screen is the hypersexualized and predator-type woman in mid to later years. And I don't know, maybe I'm still a little bit old-fashioned, but I don't know how the acronym MILF can be considered empowering. Mums, I like to F. If it's not respectful, how can it be empowering? So I can sit here and analyze and intellectualize the symbolism behind these terms, puma, cougar, milf, and argue until the cows come home whether or not these labels are oppressive or progressive. However, to make that argument, you need examples of both the oppressive and the progressive independent of one another on the big screen. Please correct me if I'm wrong, because I have not seen one example in film and media that portrays these terms solely as progressive. To be clear, I'm talking about examples that clearly reference Puma, Cougar, or MILF, because I've only witnessed these examples in the hypersexual context. So if you know of any, please let me know. I would love to be proven wrong here. However, it doesn't appear that I will be. As this study reports, stating the positive attributes are embedded in hypersexuality. There you have it. These authors are basically stating the same thing. 
So if you accept the positive connotations of these terms, then you also have to accept the negative connotations of these terms. When I say negative, I'm talking about the hypersexualization characteristic. Because these characteristics come as a pair in regards to how they are presented in film and media anyway. So in this context, you can't separate and isolate these qualities because they come as a set. The negative qualities with the positive. And the negative qualities by far outweighing any positive. And I would also argue that these negative qualities diminish any progressive or beneficial interpretations of women in mid to later years. It's similar to a backhanded compliment, like you look less fat in that outfit or you're pretty for your age, leaving you feeling confused and thinking, am I supposed to feel good about this? Why don't I? And I think this is how many, I say many, not all, women may feel when they're called a cougar or they hear the term cougar. What's wrong with she's beautiful, she's sexy, she's smart? Take out any ambiguities and guesswork. Leave all the backhandedness out of it and all the inadequate qualifiers like for her age. Who knows, maybe this is just too easy. What I do know is that this is a real issue or we wouldn't have so many academic papers written about it and people like me podcasting about it. As we were just discussing, so I've given evidence of how film and media puts women of mid to later years into binary categories like Puma, Cougar, or MILF, which falls under the hypersexualization of women of mid to later years, or not sexual at all, like the eye-offending dogfish and the boring. And we saw evidence of the latter playing out in the recent U.S. presidential elections with Hillary Clinton, and whether you like her or not is a separate issue. I'm surprised she did as well as she did, considering all the negative media attention, as well as Russia's interference. And then there was the focus on Hillary's pantsuits. I mean, really? To be fair, Hillary was the first first lady to wear pantsuits in an official painting for the White House with her and her husband. So at that time, the news reported her wearing pantsuits as progressive, which it clearly was. However, this certainly was not the case in this past U.S. election. News articles about her pantsuits continue to be written today. Titles like CNN's read, Hillary Clinton's Pantsuit Portrait, a look back at the controversy and history, or Huffington Post's Hillary Clinton's Colorful Pantsuits, and then there's In Style's critique of her pantsuits, Hillary Clinton's Pantsuits, color her bad, color her good. I mean, really? This is an example of just one of many distractions that played out during the presidential campaign. I mean, why pay attention to the fact that she's a lawyer, a Yale graduate, that she was a senator, serving on a number of political committees, such as the Armed Services Committee, the Committee on Environment and Public Works, the Committee on Health, Education and Labor, and this doesn't mean just having her face on it or her name. She's involved in meetings and doing all the hard work that is required for these political platforms. And let's not forget, she was the Secretary of State for the Obama administration. And there is so much more on her resume than I speak of here. 
But hey, why choose to focus on these things during the electoral process when you have those pantsuits? <laughs> to be fair, male candidates get their fair share of media distractions and abuse. But it is nowhere near to the level of disrespectful and dehumanizing abuse that the former First Lady of the United States, Ms. Hillary Rodham Clinton, was subjected to during the electoral campaign. And even with all that, in addition to Trump's constant bashing, she almost won. Well, we know she got the most votes, but the way the electoral system works in the U.S., did not allow for her to win. But can you imagine, had she not had all that ridiculous media attention or distraction, instead the focus be on her credentials and her potential as a leader? Things most likely would have turned out quite differently for the United States and subsequently the world. And the million dollar question here is, is it the media that's responsible for this negative bombardment and view of Hillary Clinton? Or is it society's ageist, sexist, stereotypical view that the media is reflecting? Which goes back to the question that Marshall McLuhan was asking. Is the medium the message or is the message the medium? Regardless of the answer to that question, what is clear is Hillary Clinton was a victim of the ageist stereotypes in film and media for women of mid to later years. Boring and uninteresting as a pantsuit. If I could talk to Hillary Clinton, I would ask her if she was prepared for such a bombardment of horrible press. Because in my opinion, the media smear campaign played a role in her losing the election. I'm not sure exactly how big of a role, but it's obvious it played a role. And it would not be reaching to say that it interfered with Hillary's ability to thrive in mid to later life in terms of her goals and what she wanted to achieve being president. Like she was very, very close. It really is pathetic that sexist, ageist stereotypes for women in film and media did have an impact on the U.S. election for Hillary. If it can affect somebody of her status and power, what is it doing on a day-to-day -day basis for us regular folk? Well, I would argue, given the example of Hillary Clinton, it has affected us regular folk in that she lost the elections and there are repercussions globally because of it. Many people today would agree with the statement that the current U.S. president has exacerbated black and white thinking, either or, right or wrong, and subsequently creating a divide in people that I have not seen in my lifetime. And as the cherry on the cake, this president is unprecedented in his misogynistic views and behaviors, the antithesis of respect. So perhaps a better question is, what are we women, me, you, doing or not doing to contribute to these ageist stereotypes in film and media? Keeping in mind by choosing an inaction, doing nothing, like turning a blind eye, that is an action, which in this case would be supporting these ageist stereotypes.
which is okay if you support these messages. We are living in a democracy after all. However, if you do not support these messages, it is also your democratic right to speak up. Democracy works both ways, and there are many ways to do this. For example, if you witness an ageist stereotypical joke or you are watching a movie and something like this comes on the television, then maybe you don't laugh along. It doesn't mean you have to get into some deep philosophical conversation or debate with the people around you, but if you want to, you can too. Or if talking about this subject is very new for you and you feel anxious or not confident, but you want to practice talking about it, then just find somebody you already know who is learned in this. A colleague at work or a friend. Most women have at least one friend, and I think I'm that one friend for many of my friends. We have at least one friend that we can talk to about women's issues. So go to that person. These are just a few examples. However, there are many ways you can speak up. You just have to find your way. It may take some time, but you will eventually find your own way. Lastly, we need to put our money where our vote is. And whomever it is that we decide we want to lead us has our best interest at heart, as well as democracy's best interest at heart. Because as we now know, things can go sideways quite quickly. So, lots to think about when it comes to these ageist stereotypes in film and media. They don't just stay on the desktop or the iPad or your cell phone. They spread to the workplace. They spread to social institutions and have real-life implications affecting real people like you and me. In closing, and to summarize today's episode, we talked about ageist stereotypes in film and media, and I discussed the polarization of ageist stereotypes in film and media, the hypersexual female in mid to later years, or the non-sexual boring female to binary concepts. And lastly, I talked about how ageist sexist stereotypes in media may have impacted Hillary's attempt at being president in the recent election. How large or small of an impact, I don't know. And I gave examples of that by reading headlines from popular news sources. So that's it for today's show. Tune in next time when we find out if our beliefs affect the way we age. And remember to give me a five-star rating if you like this show. This helps me get notice and subsequently more listeners. This is Angela Seaborn, and until we meet again, be well. And remember, you deserve respect.